Welcome to the FPGA podcast. On this week's show, Minette batters the opposition to become first female NFU president. The government adjudicates and decides no extra powers for Christine Takeon. And McDonald's tackles an unpalatable truth and promises healthier menus. I'm Michael Barker, and with me this week is Fred Searle and Ed Leahy. And chaps, it's been a big week in the fresh produce sector. Uh, and no bigger story, I'd say, Fred, than the, the new NFU president, who is Minette Batters. Uh, tell us a little bit about her. Um, so Minette Batters uh, is a cattle and sheep farmer. Um, she runs a 300-acre farm in the Avon Valley in Wiltshire. Um, and um, she is the first female head of the NFU in its 110-year history. Um, so she beat off competition from uh, Guy Smith, the vice president uh, of the NFU. Strangely enough, uh, she actually predicted a female head um, of the organisation back in 2011 uh, before rising through the ranks um, at the union, um, and now she has taken the position herself. So I think it's... Uh, testament to um, some of the gender progress being made in the industry um, and I think um, given her track record um, in the organisation she'll make a very good present indeed. Yeah that's right and uh, she's a strong character and what, what I like about her is that we've seen her around the fresh produce industry as you mentioned she's not a fresh produce person by background but uh, I've noticed her at a number of industry events which which I have to say I haven't seen Guy Smith I'm sure Guy's attended plenty of events but I haven't particularly seen him in the horticultural sector uh, and especially when when you consider that the the dairy and the livestock sectors inevitably tend to tend to get more of attention within the NFU it's great to see that uh, that she's willing to put herself out there in our sector, and particularly following a president in Murray Raymond that was regularly seen to be a supporter of the horticulture sector. He was a potato farmer himself. Minette's got a lot on her plate, really, hasn't she, uh, Ed? She's not coming into the job at a serene time when she can sort of ease into the job. Tell us a bit about what are the challenges that are going to be in her inbox. Well, I think it was interesting to see, actually, that the... Um the story was in the front page of a lot of papers the next day, actually. I don't know if the NFU election uh, normally does, but there was a clear recognition that um, there was this was a sort of big moment, one, because it was the first uh, female president, but there was a kind of... Um, it was interesting that she was elected at this unprecedented time. It's um, a lot of turbulence in British agriculture. So, obviously, the big question um, over Brexit is, is, is what's looming here. And... Um, at the uh, the NFU where she was elected, I mean, all the questions, all the talks were really ultimately about th- this this challenge and uh, the issues that it throws up and the opportunities that uh, may come from it. I mean, we're used to talking about horticulture generally, um, so it was interesting to get sort of to hear a wider opinion from from dairy, from meat, um, and it's clear that there's, as in horticulture, mixed mixed views, um, and she's got to balance all these and negotiate the well really i mean i'm not i'm not sure how the sort of lobbying process works but obviously march 2019 is when the um it's when brexit's supposed to happen there's a lot of pessimism that there will be a deal and so uh she's got to kind of stand up and fight for for farmers uh, in the run-up to, the, to to that date um and so we'll see we'll see how she does 
It's definitely a big job and a big time. And we should touch upon this this issue that uh, it is the, the first female NFU president. It's great to see. It follows uh, a couple of years ago. We had the first female master of the Fruiterers Company. Obviously, there's a huge amount of discussion at the moment about inequality and so on, isn't there, Fred? And in fact, Tesco's uh, made some groundbreaking, well, at least in the fresh produce sector, moves in that sector, has, in that sense, hasn't it? Yeah, so um, this week Tesco became the first of the major retailers uh, to report um, its gender pay gap, um, which was twelve uh, percent on average. That's that's the mean. So that takes into account the low, the lowest, and the highest earners within the organisation. Um, and there's obviously significant work to be done there. It'll be interesting to see um, how it compares to that of other supermarkets. Um, interestingly, one of the explanations that they gave um, in the report um, was that there are more men in senior positions um, within the company. Um, I mean, to me, that sounds like a problem in itself. Um, so we'll see what, what progress will be made um, in that respect. But it, it, it's good to see that that movement is now spreading to groceries and retail um, and hopefully we can see a bit more parity in the future. That's right. And we've only still got, I believe, five female chief executives or managing directors in the FPJ Big 50. So we can expect to see more of that hopefully coming forward, particularly with the, the increasing number of women coming through some of the management training courses and so on. But let's talk a bit more about the NFU conference. You were there, Ed. Uh, it was your, your first NFU conference. And, and Michael Gove was, of course, taking centre stage. Uh, what did he have to say for himself? Um, well, I mean, it, it was a strange one. I, I guess maybe they're always strange. But, um, the, uh, I mean, he was effectively addressing an industry that was desperately in search of answers. And he kind of had his hands tied behind his back, obviously, the, the Conservative government uh, obviously, you know, hashing out or, or, or sort of, as we know, sort of battling with the EU for um, to strike a deal uh, in March ahead of March nine, uh, 2019. Um, and everybody wants to know what that deal will look like um, as soon as possible, because obviously businesses need to plan long term. Um, so, I mean, there are a few questions uh, following his speech, and a few in the breakout sessions, uh, people were all asking, you know, what, you know, what's going to happen with seasonal workers? What's going to happen with tariffs? Um, what's going to happen with transport? I mean, huge tailbacks. Um, but obviously, he, he's not really in a position to, to to say at the moment. I mean, during his speech, um, something that made the headlines was uh, him saying that uh, the seasonal work argument was compelling, quote unquote. Um, and he said, I fully acknowledge your concerns. So it's looking like there will be something on the seasonal workers scheme. It would be quite a sort of turnaround, having made all these positive um, sort of moves beforehand. Um, he, I suppose he can't really say anything, can he? Because if he, if, he, if he... Well, what I mean is he can't, he can't not say that. He can't say, uh, we're not going to have a seasonal workers scheme and yeah. hope to get out alive from a conference of a thousand angry farmers. Um, but... Yeah, and I've noticed quite a lot of positive statements from various organisations saying they were delighted to hear of his commitments to British farming. And yes, that's all very welcome. But you know, I'd like to see some actual firm 
commitments here. It's one thing to say, oh, yes, we acknowledge your concerns, we hear you, yeah, oh, yes, yes, we understand this is a big issue for you. But really, of course they're going to say that. They're not going to come out at a farming conference and say anything else. But we need some actual tangible results here. We need a proper scheme, put it in place in the next few months. Otherwise, there's going to be a huge problem. And did you get a feeling that people were satisfied with what he said? I think just on that note, he he did say tantalisingly that there'll be a consultation paper. Well, he starts out saying command paper, which is something that people picked up on, that it changed halfway through the day or the speech, I can't remember, to a consultation paper uh, that it seems like will um, be a big uh, clue as to what the, the new agricultural policy will look like. No one knows when it's going to come out, but he, I think he one time, he said something about weeks at one stage. Um, so it's, it, it, he, did, he said shortly, um, but that, that will be a, a big part of, um, well, I guess I just finding out what, what's going on. He addressed journalists afterwards uh, saying, you know, again, just he, he wasn't going to be drawn on any kind of, any kind of policy. Um, but uh, the, the general mood was, was, a, was a mixed one. There were, I mean, when you were sat in the audience, I mean, you had sort of half the people sort of sitting around you saying, you know, this is, you know, asking questions, saying we need to take advantage of a historic opportunity, and they were clearly very pro-Brexit, and then muttering under their breath right next to you was someone who was laughing and saying this is ridiculous and this is a disaster. So, I mean, I, th- I think obviously, um, uh, as something like the NFU, there's going to be more pro-Brexit sentiment than other sort of gatherings, but um, it was definitely a mixed, a mixed bag in terms of um, sentiments towards Brexit. Yep, Fred. Well, I mean, how do you see this? It's I'm no apologist for Michael Gove, that's for sure. But uh, it, you can kind of see that it's not just down to him, and, and that, that I guess Defra can't make unilateral decisions on migration policy when when other governments uh, departments have to come in on it. And there's no doubt they all need to get some joined up thinking, get their heads together, and, and see some common sense. But but how do you see this one? Um, I do have a degree of sympathy for Gove, despite. Um the lack of commitments and the lack of promises being made um because like like ed said he does have his his hands tied um mainly because of the lack of agreement um on free movement um and the sort of standstill in negotiations as it seems um uh on on that issue um one of the uh main areas of frustration that came up in a recent conversation i had with ali kappa um from the Horticulture Board um, at the NFU um, is that we're now on our third immigration minister um, since the referendum mm. um, and she really wants to see one person really get to grips with the issue um, and move it forward because there's only so much progress that's going to be made towards a seasonal worker scheme um, until uh, we actually know what the immigration rules are going to be. Yeah, that's right. And we certainly hope to get some more clarity on that moving forward. And, and you mentioned Ali Kappa. She's the uh, chairman of the NFU Horticulture Board. And Ed, you were also in attendance at the Horticulture Breakout Session. What was the mood like there? Um, again, I mean, uh, generally, I think people are sort of tired of, of just voicing negative opinions about Brexit. So it, it seemed like... Uh, Ali Kappa's um, short speech was kind of about uh, adapting. She used this term to Brexit, and um, she she mentioned um, she spoke a lot about marketing actually, which I thought was interesting. Um, she effectively said that um, 
in horticulture, uh, we need to sell the, ben- the health benefits of fruit and veg better through through marketing campaigns, um, through packaging solutions, and um, called on the industry really to um, sell the benefits better uh, and uh, and market it better. And she also pointed out that buying British um, has been on the up uh, as a sort of as a, a brand marker for a while. Um, customers want to buy British, retailers as a response want to buy British. Um, so she said that that is. Uh, I think she's that's one of the main things in in growers' favour at the moment um, as we as we come out of the EU. That in a sense there is already some some factor playing in their favour at the moment. So um, those are the sort of two things that I, I noticed. Otherwise, it was it was the usual um, kind of you know we're, we've got to wait to find out about seasonal workers. Obviously, there's a labour shortage. Um, she actually she did talk about robotics more again as somebody's fairly new to the industry i don't know how much it is it gets mentioned has been mentioned previously but she she spoke a lot about um how uh there's going to be um well, there needs to be more investment in robotics um and uh how that's going to be a bigger part a much much bigger part of the um of the uh, landscape going forward Another one of the big stories this week was the news that the government has rejected calls to extend the remit of the groceries code adjudicator. Now, a lot of people had said that it really needs to be covering, well, all of the primary producers as well as the smaller retailers and the food service sector. And so a lot of people felt very disappointed by the fact that the government's decided not to extend Christine take on powers. Uh, they did offer some concessions, though. They're, they're, they're putting some money up for uh, supporting projects that enable farmers and growers to improve their efficiency and competitiveness. Uh, 10 million quid, if I'm not mistaken, and a chance to strengthen their position in the supply chain through cooperation. And that seemed to be the message coming out of the government when, in its response to the adjudicator, in, in, in that they think that working together more closely or, and, and cooperative uh, models and so on is the way to ensure, give, give pr- primary producers more strength and ensure that they are in a better negotiating position with supermarkets. So I suspect this is one of these ones that's going to run and run and that, that as things develop, there will be more calls for for the powers to be extended, but they, they did also acknowledge that the adjudicator seems to be working so far, which, which to be fair, it does. And I think certainly from my anecdotal stories, we, we seem to be hearing fewer examples of, of, of the kind of behaviour that we were hearing five years ago. And that can only be a good thing. So we, we will watch that space to see whether there's any further development on that in future. Now, let's have a look at one of the other big issues of the week when that's packaging and waste and if you've uh, picked up your fpj this week you'll see a cover interview with tesco's darren clough and he's been pointing out that tesco's planning to take further packaging out of its fruit and vegetable supply chain this year uh he said that there are going to be several uh to, to use his words iconic lines in the next six to 12 months that will see significantly reduced amounts of packaging or having it removed completely. So it's it's going to be a really interesting one to watch. Tesco is really the leader in take, very much taking the lead on, on trying to reduce packaging and so on. So there's always this tough balance though, isn't there, on whether it can, uh, how, how you square up 
reducing food waste with reducing packaging? Well, yeah, it's it's a problematic one um, because despite a lot of the um, very laudable um, pressure on retailers to reduce the amount of packaging they use, um, which has resulted in the likes of Iceland and Waitrose making making uh, quite wide-reaching commitments um, as, in addition to Tesco. Um, we have to remember that some, um, some forms of packaging do actually extend shelf life. Um, they uh, ultimately reduce the amount of uh, especially household food waste um, and in-store waste. Um, and so it's not as simple as just saying um, we, need to, we need to put everything in paper, we need to um, find, find new, new, new packaging formats because sometimes what we've already got is probably the best option. And of course, it's probably no surprise that Tesco is taking the lead on this issue, given that uh, its chief executive, Dave Lewis, is on the UN's Champions 12.3 committee. In fact, he chairs that committee. And so he's very much obviously wanting to lead by example. And we're going to be hearing more of that from from Dave Lewis next week, because he's going to be the uh, delivering the keynote address at the City Food Lecture at Guildhall and we're going to be talking more about that in a forthcoming podcast. Of course, the City Food Lecture covers the entire scope of the agriculture industry. And in this week's issue of FPJ, Fred's been looking right across the agricultural sector to see how the others are performing compared to fresh produce, how they're dealing with Brexit, and indeed what they would like to see from a British agricultural strategy. And Fred, what was the kind of mood among other sectors would you say um there were big concerns um as you as you'd imagine um i think one of the one of the key um areas of concern uh, was around imports um and the lowering of standards um post brexit um particularly in in beef um there um are quite real fears uh, that an influx of imports from uh countries like uh, Australia, New Zealand, um, the US, um, which uh, has garnered quite a lot of media coverage in terms of uh, the import of hormone-treated beef, um, and also other South American countries. Um, And if, uh, I mean, it could increase the volume of product on the market, um, and also uh, put British producers who perhaps produced to higher standards at an unfair advan- uh, disadvantage um, price-wise. Um, and the chair of the um, NFU's Livestock Board said it could totally destabilise the European market um, with big knock-on effects uh, in the Republic of Ireland, for instance, um, because uh, we currently import most of our beef from Ireland. Um, and if they uh, were displaced on the British market... Um, he said it would pull that market to pieces as well. Um, in, in dairy, similarly, um, there's, there are fears that there, there might be a, a race to the bottom, um, uh, a lowering of standards, um, and uh, the real opportunities, uh, according to um, industry experts, are to displace imports, because at the moment the UK operates a large trade deficit um, in dairy products. Uh, not so much in liquid milk, but in 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 cheeses, etc. Um, and what 
the, the, the main um, kind of area of opportunity, I think, in, in meat and dairy um, is to increase productivity. That can be achieved through tackling um, uh, bovine diseases. Uh, there are several which are endemic um, in the UK. Um, and also uh, by maybe finishing, well, there, there's talk about finishing cattle earlier um, so we can kind of get through the animals quicker, as it were. That's a lovely, that's a lovely <laughs> image you uh, portray. Apologise if you're eating a steak sandwich for lunch. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, then, then in, in, in fish, um, by contrast... Um, the mood is far more positive. Um, 95% of fishermen in the UK actually voted for Brexit, uh, mainly due to um, hopes that quotas uh, will be better managed um, and, and perhaps relaxed after Brexit. Um, at the moment, I think it's around 55% of the fish in um, UK waters is fished by uh, EU uh, shipping boats that could um, that could change um, and that and which could potentially uh, drive down the price of fish and make it more appealing to consumers yeah it's one of the big reasons why countries like Iceland never wanted to join the EU wasn't it to protect their fishing waters so perhaps there's a certainly one sector that's got something positive to say about it um, and there's also been money made available for agriculture this week hasn't there Ed well, tell us a bit about this pretty large new pot of cash that's available. Yeah, well, uh, it was uh, Greg Clark, and he's the Secretary of State for Business Skills and Innovation. Uh, he announced, was it two days ago now, that they were releasing $90 million, uh to um, the agri-tech industry. So a lot of it will uh, go to effectively creating networks and hubs for collaboration. That's having spoken to a lot of people in agri-tech, they said that's one of the key issues is being able to share skills and meet up with um, uh, sort of relevant uh, others in the industry. Um, it actually came a couple of days after the uh, EFRA committees, the Environment for Food and Rural Affairs. They asked for cash to help develop and drive British innovation. Um, and often these these calls get lost uh, in, in, in Parliament. Um, but actually it was quite satisfying to see just a week later uh, the government actually hear that and um, yeah he announced it on the second day uh, of the NFU um, so uh, I mean Britain at the moment is a relatively small country in terms of agri-tech uh, there's a couple of sort of um, companies who are developing uh, robots developing software sensors um, but uh, certainly post-Brexit uh, it, it could help um, boost kind of domestic productivity on, on robots and agri-tech which um, is kind of yeah, it's an increasingly large issue in the face of the labour problems that they're having. Um, so uh, it'd be interesting to see how it gets uh, split up and how uh, the, sort of the effectiveness will be traced. Um, so we'll, we'll follow the space and see what comes from it, I suppose. Yeah, there's no doubt we need to see those robots in the fields as soon as possible, particularly uh, as these labour problems are unlikely to go away anytime soon, even if they do get alleviated with the new scheme. Uh, realistically, the longer-term future would seem to be around technology. And we're just going to touch on one last story today, and that is the news that uh, McDonald's has promised to make its 
well, it's, it's children's happy meals, much more healthy. Uh, they're going to put more fruit and veg on the menu. They're promised to reduce happy meal uh, combinations, or, or half of them, to, to be 600 calories or less. And uh, currently only 28% of them reach that criteria. So an acknowledgement really by McDonald's that that you can't just go on being a junk food outlet, I suppose, for want of a another word. Uh, I, I do wonder whether whether kids will welcome this. I suspect if they open their Happy Meal and it's it's full of sort of more healthy options, will they be as delighted as as they were before? One one imagines that uh, it all is going to come down to how they formulate the burgers, what kind of. Uh, other options they come come with, and of course how how great the free toy is. So, uh, lots of options, but it's a very laudable initiative by McDonald's, and it is great to see that chains like that are are acknowledging that you can't just go on with the same the same old way of doing things. You 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 simply can't ignore the health debate, particularly with the possibility of taxes on junk food coming in. We we've seen the sugar tax come in. We're there have been significant calls for for bans on junk food advertising, and it seems like the only natural next step is to tax junk food ex- itself. So I suppose it's not just some uh, shiny initiative by McDonald's because they just really care about the health of the nation. It's also a, a business move, isn't it, Fred? It's. I mean, McDonald's have already made um, quite a lot of progress in this direction. Um, I mean, if you compare the McDonald's menu today uh, to how it looked, say, ten ten years ago, it's quite it's quite different. There's there there are fruit packs and um, fruit smoothies and, and and other fresh produce options there. Um, but but yes, actually, I think it's a sign of the times. Um, it's an acknowledgement that there has to be um, a bit more responsibility taken. Uh, my, my initial reaction to the news was, well, why are they trying to just become like um, every other uh, healthy um, fast food outlet? So when I say healthy fast food, I'm talking more about the likes of Pret-a-Manger or, uh, or Pod or, or something like this. Um, should, would is that really why people shop at McDonald's? But but then actually, I think that the enduring popularity of the brand means that people will continue eating there, even if they even if they do make tweaks to their menu. And I think they have quite a lot of influence on people's uh, consumption habits in that regard. I think it all, all depends on how they how they package it and sell it. I mean. Uh, if it's just a sort of a bunch of cold fruit in a bag, which they already have been doing, then you know I don't know how much of an impact uh, the sort of uh, it, will, it will have. But yeah, I don't know what I don't see why you can't do things like stick peaches and McFlurries and stuff like that, which I think would be little things like that could add up or, or, or come up with new ways of serving up fruit, and they've done it before, and I'm, I'm sure that they could do it again rather than just cold fruit in a bag. That's all we've got time for. Many thanks to Ed and Fred for that discussion. And we're all off to have a healthy double Big Mac now. Um, So enjoy the rest of your day and join us next time on the FPGA podcast.